entering the Freedom Hut. Pelosi makes it clear Trump will be impeached. Melania crushes a left-wing clown. Is Bernie Sanders a communist? And why are liberals getting upset at Mayor Pete? We got that, plus an anti-robocall bill that'll make Buck very happy if it passes. Coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Sadly, but with confidence and humility, with allegiance to our founders and a heart full of love for America. Today, I am asking our chairman to proceed with articles of impeachment. I commend our committee chairs and our members for their somber approach to actions which I wish the president had not made necessary. In signing the Declaration of Independence, our founders invoked a firm reliance on divine providence. Democrats, too, are prayerful, and we will proceed in a manner worthy of our oath of office to support and defend the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic. So help us, God. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. They're impeaching Trump. Just like I said they would, just like I've been saying they would for over a year now, really. No surprise. The best part of this, though, this was Nancy Pelosi's announcement this morning, was just the way that the Democrats try to set all this stuff up with a heart full of love for America, divine providence, a somber approach, prayerful about this terrible thing we have to do to President Trump that we just we really don't want to do. I mean, we've been talking about it since the day he won the election, but we just we really don't want to do it. Oh, no. What are we going to do? My friends, this is an important reminder. This is what we're up against. The left pretends that they care about the process. They can they pretend that they want to protect institutions and they tear institutions down. They burn the village down in order to save it, so to speak. And this is a perfect example of it. I mean, that hearing yesterday went on for hours and hours and hours and hours. Some of it I was able to talk to you about on the show, but it was still going till almost 630 Eastern, I think, last night. I mean, that hearing. And I will give credit to a fellow uh, on Brett Baer's panel last night, who said what was obvious but needed to be said, the whole hearing meant nothing. It was an absurdity. It was a waste of everybody's time, except for perhaps the academics who used it as an opportunity to audition for MSNBC and CNN contributor jobs. And and that I think they were successful in doing. Um, that I think is, is, quite, is quite clear. Let's just get into a bit of it because there's obviously the political implications here. And by the way, we're not going to spend the entire show today talking about impeachment. I know there are other things. So for those of you who are already tired of it, and look, I get tired of it because it's so obvious what Nancy Pelosi and Schiff and the rest of the Democrats are up to here and Nadler. It's so clear the game that they're playing. 
and the brazenness of the dishonesty from them. It's it's tough to take day in and day out. Nancy Pelosi, oh, we're, we're prayerful. We don't want to do the. Uh, come on. Who is so stupid that they believe Nancy Pelosi when she says that? And so if no one believes her, why say it? I mean, it's just all a show. I mean, these people really are crazy. And they've turned into a pack of loons. You can't reason with them. It was a fantastic piece by my friend David Harsanyi, who is great when he calls in. He's a fantastic writer, really good guy. He calls in. He's always like, yeah, I don't know. Politics is a crazy thing. He's got a little bit of a laid back. He's almost like the surfer dude of, of Denver, although now he lives in D.C., He's very chill about these things. He wrote. He just wrote a piece touching on what what I was saying yesterday. I mean, not what I said, but the same subject matter that these professors clowned themselves. I mean, you had some of them saying things that are just outrageous. I mean, they're just dumb. It's it's not it's not something that you could hold as an opinion and be considered an intelligent person or an honest person anyway. I mean, they were trying to say that this president thinks that he's a monarch, even. Play, this was Professor Gerhardt, play nine. What matters in determining whether particular misconduct constitutes a high crime and misdemeanor is ultimately the context and the gravity of the misconduct in question. After reviewing the evidence that's been made public, I cannot help but conclude that this president has attacked each of the Constitution's safeguards against establishing a monarchy in this country. Both the context and gravity of the president's misconduct are clear. A monarchy, he says. Uh, This president, at best, is going to have four more years in office. This president has been willing to abide by universal injunction set by left-wing activist judges on the federal bench who, in bad faith, shut down executive power well beyond what should be their purview and their reach just because they're hashtag resistance. This president's a monarch? Please. Monarchs do whatever they want. This president has to deal with insane liberals who refused to let him actually be president because they refused to accept that he won the presidency. This is where all this comes from that simple fact. Liberals are still in a state of denial. The left, the Dems, the socialists. Let's start using that word more, by the way. It should be used more in the context of talking about our political opponents here. They are socialists. They are collectivists. They are statists. They are, they are all of these things. They can call themselves Democrats as their official party name, but they're a socialist party. And why should we have to pretend that they're not? But there are socialists who believe in different layers and levels of capitalism within their economy, but they want overall control of it all, and they want to be able to redistribute wealth, and they want to use taxation not just for social engineering, but also for addressing the imbalances of a society, making it more equitable, essentially appealing to envy, which, while bad for economies, is good politics. There are a lot of envious people. Unfortunately, there's no shortage of those who are bitter that things have not worked out the way that they wanted them to. And those people can vote. They tend to vote Democrat. So 
here we are now faced with the reality that we've all known was coming. Nancy Pelosi saying that they're going to put forward articles of impeachment. They're going to impeach this president. No, this is what I when, I when I had even my friends Raheem and Sean Davis on earlier this week. I said, guys, I mean, I'm, I'm still 95 percent. I'm really 100 percent certain. I mean, you got to say you're maybe 99 percent certain because you know, we could be invaded by space aliens tomorrow. You know, you, no one really knows the future. But this was effectively a certainty. Because if the Democrats had backed off this and pushed for a censure vote, that would have been an admission that they didn't have the goods. And if they didn't have the goods, why would they put us through this process? Why the rush? Why the disrespect of the Constitution while claiming to be upholding and defending the Constitution? We should all find this to be simply disgusting, but it is what we have to deal with. Oh, Noah Feldman, who looked like he was auditioning for the role of a professor from the Harry Potter movies, uh, he was up there as well talking about monarchy and dictatorship yesterday. I mean, these, pe- these people are absurd. They're, they're hysterics. Play uh, 13, please. The abuse of power occurs when the president uses his office for personal advantage or gain. That matters fundamentally to the American people because if we cannot impeach a president who abuses his office for personal advantage, we no longer live in a democracy. We live in a monarchy or we live under a dictatorship. That's why the framers created the possibility of impeachment. Okay, so this person is a moron. He's a tenured professor of law at Harvard. He's uh, he's a moron. I, I don't care. I don't care what he's done within this system and how he's tried to impress people within that system to get to this perch. He does not have basic critical thinking ability that is necessary for good judgment in a realm as complicated as the law. He's really just a partisan who you know talks the talk and walks the walk, and so he's been able to accelerate himself. Saying, look at Lawrence Tribe, another professor. Lawrence Tribe is a lunatic. Look at his Twitter account. This this guy's trying to teach future generations of of lawyers law schools now are churning out little activist libs who don't really understand the foundational precepts of law in this country or even law in general why does law exist what is the law they don't know socrates they know social justice warrior this is a big problem he says that where if you can't impeach somebody, you're a monarchy or a dictatorship. Uh, and then I also love how Schiff pointed out. And no, by the way, no one is claiming that you cannot impeach Trump. No one says that you cannot do this. It's just ridiculous to do it. It's absurd. It's an abuse of power. And one of my favorite moments in the entire year yesterday was when Professor Jonathan Turley, who's the only one, not a Trump voter, by the way, wanted to bring the Bush administration up on war crimes. I mean, he's a left of center guy. But he's not totally nuts. He's smart and not totally Trump deranged. He said, you're going to make you're going to make something now. This is the claim that Democrats have that because Trump, as the executive branch head, is saying, all right, you want to take my executive branch people. We're co-equal branches of government. Let's we'll see you in court. We'll see you in court now, which has been the standard until very recently that everybody accepted is now itself an impeachable offense. The attempt to push back against the left's tyranny is used by the tyrants as evidence that their tyranny is justified. That is what we are up against. Professor Turley just said, you can't. You're abusing, to Congress, you're abusing your power. You can't say it's 
he doesn't have recourse to the courts. You do what I say or else, the Congress says. No, then the courts adjudicate between two co-equal branches of government, you know, which way this will go. They accept this on all number, on all kinds of other levels. You know, they didn't speak about tyranny. And this is the part that really just was goading me yesterday, um, because it is an it is an indefensibly, indefensibly stupid thing for someone to say that this president has has committed the worst crimes, the most impeachable conduct of any president ever, which is the claim that Schiff has made, which is what these professors yesterday were making a case for. That this this president is a threat to our democracy. Who else would they say that about? And this is where I go back to my friend David Harsanyi, who was writing about this in National Review. But you could just think off the top of your head. Did they say that Woodrow Wilson was a threat to democracy when he was locking people up for opposing U.S. intervention in the First World War? When FDR took Japanese Americans and locked them in internment camps? When Lincoln suspended habeas corpus because he said so. Were any of these people a threat to democracy in their actions? Impeachable, perhaps. Oh, of course not. I mean, Wilson was a, a racist in the way, but he was a Democrat, of course, so they don't like to talk about this. Wilson was a racist in the way that liberals today love to pretend most people on the right are, meaning that Wilson was an actual Racist. Woodrow Wilson. Real deal racist. And yet the most impeachable conduct of all time, more so than even Nixon, of course, more so than presidents who the left, the socialist left in this country, effectively accepted tyrannical, monarchical moves from them. FDR, Woodrow Wilson, go back in time. You will find plenty. Look, John Adams. Suspended habeas corpus. John Adams, go back to the Alien and Sedition Act. I believe it was of uh, 1798. Lock people up for saying things they didn't like. You don't, th- you don't think that's a, a bit of a breach of the First Amendment to the Constitution? Friends, there have been so, so much more egregious abuses of power, eg- egregious abuses of authority. And, and here's the real problem. Trump didn't abuse his power. All the things they're saying are lies. It's not true. There's nothing wrong with what he did. He broke no law. He broke no statute. He broke no ethical boundary in Ukraine or Russia conduct. None. So this is how upside down their thinking is. This is how absurd and deranged the left has become in the era of Trump because he has broken them. They now will make the claim that someone who has not done anything that is impeachable, is the most impeachable president of all time. This is disconnect from reality. This is derangement. This is people seeing pink elephants flying in the sky and thinking that they are geniuses for calling it out. It's both hilarious and scary, I have to tell you. Well, I did. I saw it, and it's a joke. Everybody is saying it. I will tell you, uh, it is a, a uniform statement. I think pretty much, pretty much right down the road that what they're doing is a very bad thing for our country. It's of no merit, and the Republican Party has never been more unified ever. They've never been as unified as they are right now. 
I'm happy to say I think the president's analysis here is spot on across the board. Any fair minded person watching this thinks that it's preposterous. It's just ridiculous. The whole thing. Democrats are just lying, lying and lying. They're they're gaming and scheming and then lying about it and then lying about their intentions and lying about, you know, the fact that they don't really want to be doing this. And they haven't made up their minds yet. How is it that we all knew they were going to impeach the president? We've known this for months. We've really known this for years. How could we know if it was evidentiary, if the final conclusion was going to be rooted in some understanding of what the actual information is that is presented? Oh, that's right. They didn't allow for the collection of facts through a special counsel. They didn't have a Ken Starr investigation. They didn't have anything leading up to the would-be impeachment of Richard Nixon that involved independent investigators pulling together facts. No, they just they're just running with whatever they can do. It's all a scam, a scheme, a hoax, a fraud. And these people that are perpetrating this against America are the ones who are always complaining about about Trump. Oh, he's has problems with the truth. Oh, he's an exaggerator. He's a BS artist. You know, like Buck Sexton, my initials. You know, he's a one of those. And it turns out that they have quite a problem with the truth on, on areas that that really matter. But I am happy to say that the Republican Party is now, I think, unified. This is turning into something of a Kavanaugh moment. We are seeing the other side acts with no good faith, no respect for any process or principle, more importantly. There's only one principle under which the Democrats are operating right now. Stop Trump at all costs. The Constitution, the country be damned. Oh, as if the leftist professors were not beclowning themselves enough yesterday during this marathon series of hearings. What was the hearing about? No fact witnesses. Just people showing up who have already said things, very stupid things, by the way, incredibly dumb things like the president could be impeached for a tweet. One of these guys, the one who looked like the Harry Potter professor, uh, Feldman, he actually had already written that. And that guy, Gerhardt, a uh, professor from, I think, UNC, he's the one who says the president's going to be, a, uh, this is going to turn into a monarchy. And these people say idiotic things all the time. But Professor Carlin, who's at Stanford Law School, um, had some very worthwhile uh, moments. But this was the best because it really showed you, it showed you who she is. It showed you what the left is really like. I mean, this woman was just combative, grandstanding, just the the most typical, really, left-wing pseudo-intellectual you could find anywhere. Not thoughtful, not nuanced, not wise, not steeped in the knowledge of her of her supposed craft and expertise. A partisan, an activist dressing it up with a few fancy words here and there. This is really actually typical for leftism these days. I can't tell you how many leftist intellectuals I meet or even discuss or debate with who just aren't impressive, who aren't smart. They have been trained in a very specific way to a specific ends within their fields. But they might as well be the people standing outside of an Ann Coulter speech with signs saying, you know, white nationalists not allowed and screaming epithets and curses at her. 
because they have the same mindset. This is why when I tell you that Harvard Law professors now share the politics of assistant gender studies professors at Oberlin or Brown or Reed College or one of these like left-wing loon factories, it's true. They share all the same ideas. It has the consolidation of thought in the universities is mind-blowing. It was bad when I was there years ago. I, I had the only conservative tenured professor on my entire college campus as my advisor. There was only one. How is that possible? That's possible because the libs are totalitarians, and so they control access, and they crush people that don't agree with them, and then they create a little monoculture. They create the echo chamber of the faculty lounge, and the faculty lounge creates an echo chamber of the greater campus, and the greater campus then includes the law school portion of the campus, and then that means that you have lawyers running around the country who think that the law is whatever they want it to say because whatever makes them feel good and gets a... Uh, a, a monologue of praise from Chris Hayes or Rachel Maddow is what really matters. The Constitution be damned. Who cares? Oh, you think I'm, uh, you know, you know, I'm not exaggerating. I don't exaggerate. I speak the truth. It's why you listen to the show. It's why you watch this show. We have Professor Carlin of Stanford Law School showing us who she is and how she thinks about things. Please, producer Brandon, clip five. Kings could do no wrong because the king's word was Kings could do no wrong because the king's word was law. And contrary to what uh, President Trump has said, Article 2 does not have, give him the power to do anything he wants. And I'll just give you one example that shows you the difference between him and a king, which is the Constitution says there can be no titles of nobility. So while the president can name his son baron, he can't make him a baron. <laughs> Oh, man. Sick burn. Yo, yeah. Bringing the president's 10-year-old son into this hyper-partisan testimony. Disgusting. Disgusting. And by the way, that was practiced. You could tell by the way she delivered the line. She had thought about that beforehand. She had been waiting to drop this one. Yeah, the social justice wars. I'm sure they love that over at the Huff Post and, you know, the semi-illiterates at the Young Turks. You know, I'm sure they thought it was great. Melania Trump, though, crushed this smug commie with the following tweet. Quote, that's right, the first lady getting in on it because you mess with Mama Bear, you deal with the consequences. A minor child deserves privacy and should be kept out of politics. Pamela Carlin, you should be ashamed of your very angry and obviously biased public pandering and using a child to do it. End quote. Courtesy of Melania. Boom. By the way, the most fashionable first lady of all time. And yet all the fashion magazines don't want to give they won't dress her. They won't put her on the magazines because they're appalling leftists. No surprise there. That's right. Professor at Stanford Law, tenured professor, probably making three or four hundred thousand dollars a year to to brainwash recent college grads into thinking that they really understand the law and that, you know, things like, yeah, Roe v. Wade. That's that's a good way to interpret the law. Look at that. That's a thumbs up. Yeah, we'll, we'll invent something and this other thing. And, you know, there we go. The law says whatever we want. It's a living constitution, you see. The, the words are alive, and they can move around based on our orders, based on our whim. And yet here we are. 
Pamela Carlin lecturing the country, all these professors lecturing the country, what exactly do they know? What do they bring to the table? Nothing that was unexpected. She did kind of apologize, which I thought was uh, also worth hearing. Play clip 12. Then if I can just say one thing. Um, I want to apologize for uh, what I said earlier about the president's son. It was wrong of me to do that. I wish the president would apologize, obviously, for the things that he's done that's wrong. But I do regret having said that. See, I regret her being dumb. I mean, the fact that she brought the the president's very young son into this conversation is is completely unacceptable. I mean, look, I'm I'm not crying big tears about it. I mean, it, it wasn't. She she brought him into it. It was a petty thing to do, but it wasn't, you know, she didn't like, call him a little idiot. I mean, there there have been leftists who have, and in the press, who have said horrific things about Barron Trump. I mean, horrific things. And they have been allowed to, I mean, if you ever want to understand that the press really isn't that different now, we're just better at seeing who they are, go back and, and read some of the, the stories that the left wing rags would put out about Sarah Palin and her family and her child and oof. Back in the 2008 election, liberals are appalling. No honor, no dignity, no class. It's just, it's become their culture. There are people within that culture who do have good qualities and do have those qualities, but the overwhelming culture of the left now is uh, a a totalitarian self-righteousness. They know what's right about everything. They don't want to exchange any ideas with the other side. They want to force you to do things. They want you to repudiate all you believe in. They want you to bend the knee and then apologize that it took so long for you to do so and then accept that they're probably going to have to destroy you anyway to encourage the others. There was, oh, I said, why was I upset about Professor Carlin? Uh, The stupidity of saying the president can't do whatever he wants. How could anyone pay attention to politics in this country for five minutes? And think that the president is of the impression he can do whatever he wants. How many times has he been blocked by the courts? How many times has he gone to Congress? You know, was he able to get the health care plan that he wanted? No. Was he able to just do what he wanted on immigration? No. Time and again, the courts, the courts, the courts, challenging. And he's right, by the way. They're wrong. The people in the court system or the members of Congress or the states that are bringing these challenges, they're being shot down. They misinterpret the law. But how could he think he does whatever he wants? No, in fact, one of my complaints about Trump is that sometimes he doesn't do what he should do, what he does have the power to do, because I think he is too deferential to some aspects of the system that's in place. I think that he does get a little bit too swayed by some elements of the national security apparatus and the forever war lobby in D.C. and across the country. I think that on the issue of immigration and on the wall, there were ways for him to proceed without having to go through all this, you know, series of of court challenges. But how could anyone say that the president thinks that he can do anything? The reality here is that the president of the United States, according to Democrats, cannot be on a call with a counterpart head of state engaging in foreign policy and make a passing reference to information about possible corruption in a country known for corruption 
He can't even do that without them thinking that he should lose his job. And he thinks he can do anything. By the way, it never happened. Nothing happened. There was no pressure. This is all this is all a conjured fantasy of the left. Which is why it's not working. But they have to do this. And they have to impeach him. They want to tar him with that. They want to have the asterisk next to him, just like they wanted to do with Kavanaugh. Asterisk. He doesn't really count. Any of his Supreme Court decision doesn't really count. This is a childishness that is the basis of a lot of liberal viciousness. They don't accept that they've lost when they've lost. And so going forward, whenever there should be the next step, whenever people should look at the precedent and what do we do now, it's, oh, no, we haven't moved to a a further stage in the discussion, whether it's about the Supreme Court or about immigration or about anything. The initial fight must be had again because the initial victory whether it's Trump's election or it's at the Supreme Court, was illegitimate. Not just that I disagree with it, it was illegitimate. It is not binding on me. What liberals don't really understand, or perhaps they understand and don't care, is that their mentality is incre- it is accelerating in its, extreme, its extremism, and they will eventually bring us to the dissolution of the form of government that we've lived under now for a couple hundred years if they don't stop with this. They can't continue to destroy institutions to undermine them while claiming to be the great protectors of them. They can't allow, for example, President Obama to do things as president that he himself had said he does not have the right to do as president. And then to have beyond that, the courts slap down the Obama administration numerous times. Obama lost, I think it was close to a dozen times on major issues. His administration, the courts had to be like, you can't do that. Can't do that. That's a power grab. Oh, but he was Obama. We couldn't criticize him. Couldn't say anything mean about him. People who say, who attack this straw man that Trump can't do anything he wants to do. Nobody thinks that. And nobody would be okay with that. I wouldn't be okay with the president saying, yeah, Congress, we're going to just say you're not in session and I'm just going to write laws. I wouldn't be okay with that. I've, I mean, I could sit here and establish with you. I have red lines even for this president. There are things he could not do. I'm upset that he's spending so much money. $23 trillion in debt, folks. Going to be $30 trillion before you know it. You want to see what, this, what the impact of this is? Look at millennial wealth at this stage and then look at boomer wealth. We have an intergenerational theft occurring in this country on a massive scale. And people don't want to think of it that way. That is what is happening. And it's because the single most important driver of the economy right now is federal government policy in a lot of ways. It, you know, whether the market's going up or down, it's the Fed. It's the uh, Fed rate. Do they raise interest rates? Hugely important to the trajectory of the economy. Look at all the ways that we have a, an over hyper regulated economy. I mean, I like to say this sometimes just because I'll go down the rabbit hole, but a conversation for another time. I've got prob- there are problems with this administration, no question about it. Impeachable? Absurd. The president deserves four more years. And, and here's what I will tell you. And I'm not, I don't want to keep repeating this because I don't want us to get complacent at all. The good news is that the shrill, liberal lunatics are losing, and they know it. That's the good news. In terms of Trump and the election, in terms of the culture, the trajectory of government, and the growth of socialism... And we'll talk about whether Bernie Sanders is a commie in just a little bit. I'm more concerned about that.
This impeachment would rival the Johnson impeachment as the shortest in history, depending on how one counts the relevant days. Now, there are three distinctions when you look at these, or three commonalities when you look at these past cases. All involved established crimes. This would be the first impeachment in history where there would be considerable debate, and in my view, not compelling evidence of the commission of a crime. Second is the abbreviated period of this investigation, which is problematic and puzzling. This is a facially incomplete and inadequate record in order to impeach a president. They're abusing the process at every step. They're trying to shoehorn this into a completely politically determined timeline, and they're pretending all along that somehow this is about the Constitution. The core values. What did Nancy Pelosi say? Heart full of love for America. Oh, please. These people are destroying America. And I don't, I don't like to come on air and exaggerate about these things. I don't like to be the one that, oh, the sky is falling and we're all doomed. You know, other, there are other shows you can listen to. How we're all going to die tomorrow if, you know. You don't buy whatever from my sponsor. I mean, there are other shows that do that. I don't do that. I try. I, I love and respect this audience too much. I'm like Nancy Pelosi saying she loves the country. I actually love this audience. But they really are. I've said it. They're kicking at the load-bearing walls of America at this point. I mean, they're messing with very combustible stuff. They really think that Trumpism, the Trump movement would go away if they were successful in removing the president. Here, here's, I think, the, the little reality. Um, the D.C. insiders that are pushing this whole thing, the Pelosi's, the Schiff's, the Nadler's, they want to impeach him because they hate him and their base demands it. There's a part of me that realizes that or that, that believes, I should say, that they've felt like the Senate was a, a kind of firebreak all along. The Senate was a stopgap. They knew he wouldn't get removed from office because as much as the people, I'm not talking about the left. The left would love Trump to get removed from office. I'm talking about the Pelosi's and Nadler's shifts. They would have to know that if somehow by some ill-fated turn, uh, there are some Republicans who defected and you had a two thirds and you remove this president from office. I mean, the backlash in this country. The sense that the system is rigged and broken and that the totalitarian left will do anything and stop at nothing. Um, the Trump movement would be growing tenfold in the years ahead. That's what I, I just think it would be an unstoppable because at that point, even I would say, uh-uh, no more. Not playing by their rules. Time to establish new rules. And they wouldn't like that. How much of this is really just driven by Democrats hating Trump? That's a part of this that I think we should evaluate a little bit. Um, Their ideology is out of control. They're further left than they've ever been before. But also there's something very specific about Trump, what he represents, who he is, the way he is not deferential to the elites, the way he does not speak, the way the elites demand we do to and, and about aggrieved minority groups, for example. He does not speak the way that we are all told. You must speak to people about, uh, you know, in this way, about issues in this manner. Use the following words. Trump is like, no, 
He's like, if I want to say that MS-13 are animals, he's going to say that MS-13 are animals because they're murderers who kill people and they're really bad. You're like, I'm not going to be told, oh, I mean, I remember when that happened, you know, Nancy Pelosi was, oh, oh, the spark of divinity lives within MS-13. Whenever Nancy Pelosi starts to hide behind her Catholicism, you should be really skeptical of whatever's going on. And in fact, you should just, you know that she's kind of cornered and she's looking at Pelosi's a a slippery, dishonest politician without peer. I mean, she, whatever she has to do, whatever she has to say, I mean, look, how else could she be the top of the Democratic Party? There's no scruples, no moral compass, doesn't stand for it. It stands for Pelosiism. But when she goes, oh, she starts to try to think back to, you know, Sunday school and what she was taught about the divinity of Christ. And, you know, she starts to, when she goes preacher Pelosi, trust me, she's about to pull some nonsense. She's about to lie. Uh, she did it about the MS-13 thing when Trump said that they were animals. And I, this just came up now. I didn't see it initially in, in her press conference this morning. But a reporter, I'm going to assume a conservative because liberals don't ask uh, real questions of Democrats. Once every six months, maybe like Jake Tapper, fake Tapper, will ask a real question of a journalist. And we're all supposed to go, oh, my gosh, she's so brave. The guy's a jerk and a buffoon. Uh, but Pelosi got asked a, a question that she didn't particularly like because it, it goes to an underlying truth. It's the one that I started out with here. Here, it, the, First, we have, we have uh, Representative Collins who was saying this. Let's just hear him set this up yesterday because they really do hate Trump. Let's not forget that. Play, uh, play Collins, please, Brandon. They're already drafting articles. Don't be even fooled. They're already getting ready for this. We've already went after this with the Ukraine after numerous failings of Mueller, Cohen, annulments, the list goes, emoluments, the list goes on. But the American people are actually failing to see us legislate. But if you want to know what's really driving this, there's two things. It's called the clock and the calendar. The clock and the calendar. What's interesting is that the chairman talked a lot about the founders from the quotes. And, and again, this is why we have the hearing about the founders being concerned about foreign influence. But what he also didn't quote was the founders being really, really concerned about political impeachment. Because you just don't like the guy. You haven't liked him since November of 2016. The chairman has talked about impeachment since last year when he was elected chairman. Two years ago, November 17th, before he's even sworn in as chairman. So don't tell me this is about new evidence and new things and new stuff. We may have a new hearing room. We may have new mics. and We may have chairs that aren't comfortable. But this is nothing new, folks. This is sad. Spot on. He understands what this is really about. They just don't like him. Yeah, they want power and libs the left. They have a lust for power and they can't handle the thought of not being in a position to make you do whatever they want to make you do. They can't handle it and they get all uh, freaked out about it. That's all true. But they just also feel like Trump's presence and the fact that Trump is president is an affront to their very being, to their to their dignity, to their sense of self, their sense of self-worth. Trump bothers them in a way that goes beyond the usual political fights and disputes. You know, they didn't like George W. Bush. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They thought he was a bad person, a war criminal, a buffoon. But they didn't stay up late at night going into fits of rage over the fact that George W. Bush was president. Not the same way they do with this guy. This is something that they just cannot handle. They cannot abide it. And so Collins is right. 
a lot of this is that Democrats are just giving in to that impulse to trash Trump because they hate Trump and they simply can't help themselves. So Nancy Pelosi, back to when she was asked this question, I wanted to get this in because I thought it was a very telling exchange. And just remember, whenever Nancy starts going, excuse me, I'm very Catholic and I really, I believe in Jesus. I mean, this is Nancy Pelosi who, let's understand something, is a huge proponent now, not just of, of gay marriage as a Roman Catholic uh, and a vowed Roman Catholic who likes to bring it up. She's also a fan of LGBTQ rights and transgender children and transitioning prepubescent children and you know do she's in favor of pushing those policies because that's what they are under the rubric of it being a human rights issue but she's she's well out of style oh and the first thing that i want to bring up of course is nancy pelosi believes in abortion all nine months of her pregnancy all nine months month eight month nine doesn't matter Baby's due tomorrow. Nancy, Nancy, people who say that never happens. Well, then explain to me why Nancy Pelosi, if you asked her, you said, you know, a mother just decided she can't handle the emotional tumult of the of her unborn baby. Can she can she abort and therefore have that baby terminate? Kill the baby. Ninth month of a pregnancy. Nancy Pelosi will not tell you under any circumstances. Will she ever say, no, you can't do that. She won't do it. It's the easiest thing. Most clear moral calculation one could possibly make. She will not do it. She claims to be a Roman Catholic, though. Claims to, and devout, by the way. You know, I need to be a better Roman Catholic. Nancy Pelosi likes to pretend that she's a good Roman Catholic. That's even worse. Uh, Here is what, here's how she handled the, I think, very valid question. Is this just really because you guys hate Trump? Is that why we're going through this entire charade? Play it, Brandon. You hate the president, Madam Speaker? Because I don't, Representative I don't Collins, hate anybody. Representative I don't Collins, have a great house. We don't hate anybody. Not anybody in the world. So don't, don't you accuse me. I did not accuse you. You did. You did. I asked the question. And, and Representative Collins yesterday suggested that the Democrats are doing this simply because they don't like the guy. I have nothing to do with it. Let me just say this. I think it's an important I point. think the president is a coward when it comes to helping uh, our, our kids who are afraid of gun violence. I think he is cruel when he doesn't deal with helping our dreamers, of which we're very proud. I think he's in denial about the the, uh, climate crisis. However, that's about the election. This is about the election. Take it up in the election. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. Nancy Pelosi's a liar. She doesn't pray for the president all the time. Sorry. Don't buy it. Don't believe it. Nancy Pelosi also isn't prayerful for uh, for the uh, unborn babies that are constantly being murdered in Planned Parenthood clinics across the country, which Nancy Pelosi will defend to her last breath. But she pulls out the Catholic card there. Isn't that so interesting? She doesn't. Oh, here's another one. I think she does hate Trump, actually. I think she really does. 
I think that the the public figure of Nancy Pelosi and the private person of Nancy Pelosi, it would be a shock for either of them not to be deeply full of rage and disdain for Donald Trump, given what she has devoted her life to. And then there's just one other thing I have. I, I can't help but throw this into the mix. This new reverence that liberals have for the Constitution and the Founding Fathers. I I thought the Constitution was really old and outdated and founded to protect slavery, they say. This is what comes up now. And all these liberals, oh, it's all about it was all about protecting the institution of slavery. That's the most important thing. Just look at the New York Times uh, 1619 project. The single most important thing in America was this is not true. Maybe I'll spend some time actually debunking this this lie that the left is now embracing and trying to teach school children across the country as well as absurd progressives who don't know anything about actual history. Uh, but the most important thing in the country, they say, no, that's not that's just not true. Just like Trump isn't the worst president in history, even if you believe what he did is what they say it is. It's not even close to the worst thing a president's done in history. It's absurd. But I, I thought the Constitution was this really old, bad document that we wish we didn't have to get constrained by. I thought we should have just democ- a direct democracy, uh, mobocracy, oclocracy. I thought we should just have that instead. And I thought the founding fathers are a bunch of racist, slaveholding white guys that nobody should listen to anymore. Oh, but now, now to cloak themselves in higher purpose. They invoke the founders. They invoke the Constitution. And when that's not enough for this ongoing partisan ambush, then Nancy pulls out the big guns. I'm a Catholic, sir. Nancy Pelosi should be denied communion by every Catholic priest in the country. But she's a Catholic, sir. Black Rifle Coffee is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. So to celebrate, they started Black Rifle Friday. Look, I know it sounds like a fictional holiday, you know, like Valentine's Day, which is just a cash grab. But, you know, you wouldn't be wrong. But since it's actually Black Rifle's fifth year anniversary and in the spirit of radical transparency, which is a thing Black Rifle's really into, Black Rifle Coffee's making an early play for your holiday spending with new products, special discounts, and extra perks for coffee club members. Not a coffee club member? No problem. Sign up and see all the great benefits you get when you belong to the the most patriotic coffee club in the country. Let me tell you, I start every day with a delicious cup of Black Rifle coffee. My favorite roast is Silencer Smooth, but I also like Freedom Blend or Caffeinated as Blank. Check them all out. They're delicious. Don't choose basic batch coffee. Go with America's coffee, Black Rifle coffee. Visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck to get 20% off your first purchase. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Again, 20% off your first purchase, blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Oh, the journos. They have so few principles left. You will recall that uh, they had Schiff pull phone records, phone records that included a attorney for the president, included a member of Congress, and also a journalist. And not only did they pull those records, which it seems legally they can do, but then they published them. Publish those records. This, my friends, is uh, unheard of. I saw Devin Nunes last night on Fox saying that he, at least in his time, he's never heard of this before. And it raises some very troubling questions. Please, please. this is uh, Congressman Nunes, who's also on the Intelligence Committee of the House. This is what he has to say. Play clip four. 
the new chairman of your committee, House Intel Committee, somehow pulled the phone records of the president's lawyers. But my question to you is, how did he do that? And on what pretext? Did, how did this happen? So he has subpoena power. So when the Democrats right. gain control, they have subpoena power. Uh, we knew he had issued, he, he notified us of, that he had subpoenaed some phone numbers. We didn't know who those numbers were. And of course, because it's in the skiff and it's classified, we can't talk about it. I, I'm sorry, subpoenaed from whom? He subpoenaed from AT&T, phone records. Why would AT&T give phone numbers up? That's a good question. That is a very Why good question. Why wouldn't AT&T say well, buzz off, you know, well, take it to court? AT&T should have at least went to court to try to see if what they were going to do was the right thing. Could they do that for my phone records or your phone records? I mean, uh, it, it appears like they could. If Adam Schiff now wants to go out and subpoena, they've now set a precedent where Adam Schiff can go and get any phone number that he has, send it to AT&T, and AT&T is going to comply. The answer to Tucker's question, it's a very important question. The answer to Tucker's question is yes. They absolutely can get his phone records if they want. Now, AT&T could also go to court and there could be more of a check and balance here from the private sector about just giving phone records to to Congress. But uh, my friends, this this is getting pretty close to the congressional uh, equivalent of, of all out war. I mean, what what else is there? They're going to start pulling people's phone records and then just sharing them. Oh, how hard do you think it would be? I can sit here and come up with a pretext right now for whether or not we need Tucker Carlson's records as Democrats who are running this impeachment scam. Oh, Tucker has clearly had Giuliani and John Solomon and, you know, others on his show. Or maybe it would be Hannity and not, you know, Tucker who had John Solomon on. But the point is, you can come up with some pretext and just grab his phone records. Yeah, I want his phone records. Hmm. I'm just going to pull them, huh? Because usually that power, and as I've said to you, I've, I've requested phone records before in the course of a terrorism investigation, usually that power is in the hands of nonpartisan law enforcement officials, and there are strict guidelines and rules in place, and there are courts also that oversee this. And by the way, that doesn't mean that it's perfect. Look at the whole FISA situation. But there's something there. What's the check on Adam Schiff's subpoena power? Hmm. If... Private companies are just going to say, yeah, sure, Adam Schiff wants your phone records. We're going to give it to him. There is no check, my friends. I mean, yeah, somebody could challenge in a court, but Schiff's already got your records. And the records are going, he's, he's requesting them behind closed doors, goes to the company. Company gives him the records. You, you, there's no injunction you're going to get by the time you even know he's got your phone records. And you might say, well, Bach, is he going to do that to me? No, I don't think Adam Schiff's going to pull your phone records. He's going to pull other people's phone records, though. This is the dirty game they're playing, folks. Here is, uh, for example, uh, Jim Hines, another Democrat on the Intelligence Committee, saying, you know, just imagine if we, we should do more of this. We should pull everybody's phone records. We should start giving... Giving them out like hotcakes, just phone records all over the place. Play uh, wherever Himes is there. Eight. Subpoenas for documents out of the State Department. That's another story that has yet to be fully told. Exactly who knew about the uh, firing of Marie Yovanovitch? We, uh, you know, just because Gordon Sondland decided that he was going to show that he was not operating as a lone actor, we got a few emails um, that indicated that the Secretary of State uh, knew what was going on. Imagine if we had a comprehensive set of emails, of documents, of phone records. You know, one of the things that was interesting about the open hearings, John, those open hearings, you know, oftentimes they 
don't produce a lot of new information, but it's hard for me to remember one hearing in which somebody didn't appear with new information, whether it was the tale of the, uh, of the phone call that was overheard uh, in Ukraine between Sondland and the president, the famous phone call. Phone records, complete phone records. They want more phone records. Not enough. No. No, they don't have enough. They want to use this new power. John Solomon, who was my colleague, as you know, at the Hill, and I've had on, I've actually had him on the show a number of times, and I know John well. John Solomon's a journalist. His phone records were published. Now, liberals like to do this thing of, oh, it's not illegal. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that the new standard for everything? For the press to use their First Amendment right to share their thoughts. And, and if, you know, they want the president out of office. He's a, ter- he's a tyrant. He's the worst. He's a monarch. All this stuff. One of their own, John Solomon, he, he had his phone records published by a congressman. What if, what if that record had showed John speaking to a confidential source? That's out there now for everybody. There was no redactions. There was nothing. And, and where's the journo outrage? Where are the frauds, the outright frauds at CNN, by the way, owned by Time Warner, which is the company that gave the records over real quick? Where are they on this? Doesn't seem like it's a little bit of an abuse. Remember Congress who start pulling phone records? By the way, phone records that prove nothing. They prove nothing. There's nothing illegal. There's no problem. It's just, so you're just going to start pulling people's phone records? Yeah, I want to see it. You know, you start to wonder how far, how, you know, if he's got subpoena power on the phone records, how far is Adam Schiff from saying, yeah, we're just going to start tapping people's phones? Start to, eh, better question. Put aside the legality for a second. Do you think that if Adam Schiff had, if he thought he had the capability to tap phones of people in the administration, if he thought he could do it, would he do it? The answer is yes. Clearly. He would do it and he'd feel justified because he's saving the if you're saving the republic, just like if you're saving the world from climate change, which, again, only deranged brainwashed people believe. But if you really believe that the justification is built in, you don't have to explain anything beyond that. We all know. And that's where this is. Let's take a moment, take a breather here, friends, to talk about the uh, Democrats in the presidential election right now. This will be a recurring a recurring theme, to be sure, something that we will be talking about quite a lot in the in the time ahead oh wait before i do that i just said cnn frauds cnn also a lot of people over there that we're supposed to think our journalists are are, are bright think that they're bright and it, donald trump i believe has said more than once at least on twitter that don lemon is the dumbest person on television i think that's what donald trump said which is a big that's a because, you know, there's Anna Navarro was on television. Matthew Dowd at ABC is on television. I mean, these are really stupid people. But uh, President Trump has said Don Lemon's the dumbest man on TV. And I like to be mean, but there's, there's some rich, smug, bad people that are hurting the country by what they're doing on TV and being dishonest about it all the time. And they should be called out for being dumb because they are. Um, I will let you come to your own conclusions about this, but this... Uh, this happened last night on AT&T-owned CNN. Please play clip two. 
Don't act like a child and expect to be treated like an adult. Don't act. Like, uh, don't be disrespectful to people or not respectful. Disrespectful, I think, is, is not actually a word. But don't not be respectful to people and then expect to be treated with respect. Disrespectful is not a word. Who doesn't? Who? That's like very. It's not even. Is it? That's a very common word. Who doesn't know that that's not a word? Yeah, unrespectful. Uh, there you go. The guy's, I think he's making like three or four million dollars a year at CNN, something like that. Yeah. Jeff Zucker knows how to get the best talent up there. All right. Um, I was going to speak of the Democrat debates. This was, this was, this was kind of stunning. Um, you have a few things going on here. One is the, the Democrats are getting a little self-conscious about something right now. And the, the self-consciousness comes from the following. Um, they are supposed to be the party of diversity. They're supposed to be the party that is going to make right the wrongs of the past by advancing uh, oppressed and aggrieved minority groups going forward, and not just ethnic minority groups, any kind of protected minority group, you know, sexual orientation, you know, whatever, whatever else. Illegal alien status, you know, people that are illegal immigrants, they're now a protected group. They break the law. Now they're special. Now they should get uh, extra attention and love from from Congress, even though they're not even supposed to be here. Uh, that's something that, that you see happening. Uh, you have the Democrats now, unfortunately, realizing that they have a lot of old white candidates. And Cory Booker, who is still in the race, technically, although... I don't think a single person in the country, including Cory Booker, believes that he's going anywhere in this, meaning he's going to go anywhere other than out of the race. Here's what Cory Booker had to say. Please play clip six, if you would. Well, let me just say, Kamala, before she was a senator, presidential candidate, she was my friend. She was my sister. And so today I'm a little angry, I have to say, that we started with one of the most diverse fields in our history, giving people pride. And it's a damn shame now that the only African-American woman in this race who uh, has been speaking to issues that need to be brought up um, is now no longer in it. And we're spiraling towards a debate stage that potentially we're still fighting to get on it, but could have uh, six people with no diversity whatsoever. The way this shape up, especially with the rules of the DNC, uh, it is preferencing millionaires and billionaires and a lot of other things that don't ever translate into viability in Iowa. Now, is he right about the DNC rules? I mean, maybe. I don't really care. As far as I'm concerned, DNC on DNC fighting is great. You know, go for it. Uh, but I think it's so interesting that the, that the Democrats now have to face this reality that they have an increasingly very very white field of candidates. And this is inherently viewed by the left as a problem. This is a bad thing. And I would just want to know what what is really the alternative I and mean, what Kamala Harris, for example, um, Kamala Harris did not get a majority of black support in the primary, and I think understandably from the perspective of a lot of black Democrat voters, uh, Joe Biden, if you believe in Democrat po- party policy and you want somebody who is, you think, electable and will implement those policies, I, I understand why the black community 
with that person, if that is the perception that is widespread, which I believe most of the polls show it is, I understand the black community be like, yeah, I like Joe, uh, Joe Biden. Also, of course, the association with Obama being Obama's vice president for eight years is very positive for him within that community. But, you know, the black community and the primary Democrat voters, at least, was not excited about Kamala Harris. So why, you know, whose fault is it that Kamala Harris's campaign didn't gain any traction? I mean, I think it's Kamala Harris's fault. Whose fault is it that, you know, I am Spartacus Cory Booker was not able to get more traction and, and excite more voters? I mean, I think we all know the answer to that, too. He hasn't dropped out yet, but he's he's going to have to drop out. You already have Biden saying that Kamala Harris is a possible VP for him. And I could I could see that. Um, I think that may, I think it would make a lot of sense from Biden's perspective, actually. But, you know, who knows? Because VPs, does anyone even really care? VPs almost exist in a, at least in the context of electoral politics it just gives something for the pundits to talk about i mean I don't, no one really votes for the vp no one really cares all that much um but then you also have you know what when when do democrats it's it's fascinating to me to see the way they talk about any la- lack of diversity in certain situations and then they mean they mean skin color diversity they mean a different they mean different Skin colors represented by individuals in any in any situation. They certainly don't mean ideological diversity. Not we're talking about a Democratic primary, but also not in general. Ideological diversity is not diversity to Democrats. They mean skin color diversity, um, but they also reject that people. They reject this the the story or they reject the narrative that there are some people in some circumstances who are advanced explicitly because of. Non-white skin color. That is, you cannot, Democrats will not say that that is a thing that happens. They'll, they get very uncomfortable, very, and yet they will also say that, hey, guys, there aren't enough non-white Democrats in the presidential primary right now. They can't really, these two things cannot be, this doesn't make sense, right? You can't advocate for someone on the basis or, or advocate for non uh, non-white candidates because they're non-white and then say but but no one who's a non-white candidate in the Democratic Party is really getting any uh, support as a result of, of of their skin color right I mean no no one no one's being advanced as a result of this I mean this was one of the fascinating uh, one of the fascinating tensions you had with Democrats when back in the Obama era was there were so many people who were expressing, excitement to vote for the first African-American president, which I, I understand and I know where that comes from. And I think that that sentiment is is perfectly fine. Um, but then when you would say then they would also turn around and say, but it was a it, he overcame that to become president. And I was sitting here saying, I'm I'm confused. I mean, if 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 the polls show that a vast majority of people, especially everybody who's voting for Obama, felt really good about voting for somebody because he was the first African-American president. Why? Why? So we have to believe that he that, that this is something that everyone should be excited to do. And I think people were excited to do it. And I get that. But then we're also told that he had to overcome this insurmountable barrier of being the first non-white president. You sit there and say these things. This doesn't make sense. I, I don't know how they can. But identity politics always devolves into confusion, into self-contradiction. That's really the takeaway from this. Identity politics can't continue. It, it, it is 
a and not just imprecise, it's it's ultimately a problematic way of looking at any person, right? We shouldn't look at any person based on skin color and make any distinction, designation, or judgment about them, period. Positive or negative. And if this brings me to the uh, the now really timeless line from, I think it was Justice, was it Scalia or Alito? I think, it, I can't remember now, it might have been Alito. That the best way to stop discriminating by race is to stop discriminating by race. That means positive and negative discrimination. We have to stop doing these things. So you have this, you know, the Democrats, you know, some of the Democrats now are are feeling this moment of, of almost shame that they have so many white candidates, uh, almost entirely white candidates now in a very, what had been a very large Democrat primary. Also, we talked yesterday with my friend Tiana Lowe about how somehow being Asian American doesn't really qualify as a minority on the left, even though they're an ethnic minority and have actually faced discrimination in this country. and Discrimination as a matter of law, too. Um, that no, that's that's something the left never really grapples with, never really tries to make sense of. So, I don't think that Cory Booker is going to all of a sudden become a top tier candidate because um, there's going to be anything that he can say or do that'll change people's minds. But the fact that he's just, it's just there's kind of a why question: why Cory Booker? You know, there's, there's that question that comes up. Um, but there's a, the lack of diversity issue, I think, is only going to rise because Cory Booker is not going to last that long in this thing. And the left doesn't really think of and treat Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang as minorities. So we shall have to see where that goes. Let's continue our conversation, folks, about where the Democrats are and what's happening in that primary. It's interesting for us. We get to watch all this back and forth with just just eating popcorn and enjoying enjoying the fight as it plays out. But there's also lessons to be taken from it and uh, indicators of policy fights ahead and just also where the culture is going. Uh, we have our friend Chadwick Moore, who has joined us once again here on the show. He is a journalist. He's a columnist for Spectator USA. You often see him on Fox News. Chadwick, good to have you back, sir. Hey, Buck. Great to be here. All right. So I thought this was really interesting. Uh Mayor Pete, as he is known now, because his last name is so hard to say, Buttigieg, uh, the mayor, what is it, the third or fourth largest city in Indiana? I think the fourth largest, actually. He is getting criticism now from LGBTQ advocates because there are photos of him years ago helping with the Salvation Army. Now, Chadwick, you're a former liberal and you're also um, an open member of the LGBTQ community. What the heck is this all about? <laughs> well, we're, we're seeing exactly what the LGBTQAI plus 2S community is all about these days, uh, which is, of course, really has nothing to do with uh, the individuals that it purports to represent or fight for. I mean, gay rights is a battle that's kind of over. And it's, uh, uh, it's more about just sort of, well, in this instance, instance uh hating christianity trying to dismantle anything that's that's remotely uh christian traditionalist you know they 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 are so hung up on these narratives it's sort of like the chick-fil-a thing and and um salvation army is just another example that they think that these groups are some kind of hate-mongering organizations that have it out for them um they don't Uh, they don't discriminate against gay people just because they happen to maybe have 
uh, uh, different views on marriage or have to be uh, happen to be more traditionally Christian, um, you know, even that is is just uh, something that that LGBTQ cannot tolerate. Uh, it's any anything remotely that goes against their their narrative and their prescription for society, which is really what we're we're we're, we're heading towards with these groups, um, is simply not acceptable. And um, you know the the LGBT community really doesn't like Mayor Pete, and they haven't for a while. Uh, the yeah, why why is that? Dig into that one a little bit for me. Well, he's um, the, you know, if you if you recall, not too long ago, there was an ar- an article in the New Republic by a writer who's a sort of far left commie, openly openly communistic. And um, he really went in, in on Mayor Pete. He basically stole all my talking points uh, from a right-wing publication. And um, uh, and then he got they, – they took the article offline. He got lambasted for it. But it, it's very true that they don't like him. They don't see him as gay enough. They don't see him as radical enough. He's not, he's not uh, into the gender stuff. He identifies as Christian, but at the same time he tends to think that he's the best Christian in the world and he'll attack uh, Mike Pence and whatnot. Um, they don't like him because he's too vanilla. They don't like it. They especially don't like that he's uh, white and a man. You know, that, uh, that, that, that kind of Right, stuff. I know. I carry, that, I carry that burden around every day, too. Yeah, I know. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and one thing that I've sort of talked about before is that, you know, he's 37. He came out of the closet in his, in his 30s. Uh, and I think gay people were kind of on to the, in the most accepting time possible and where it's not an issue to be gay. And I think a lot of gay people look at him and think, you know, he's kind of, uh, a, you know, he had so much shame for his entire adult life. He's maybe kind of a coward. He's not really, you know, prancing around with the rainbow flag. Um, so they, they don't they don't like him for for mainly those reasons. He's maybe a little too normal for them. Andrew Sullivan, by the way, wrote on Twitter today. This is and Andrew Sullivan, of course, probably I think you'd agree, Chadwick, one of the best known openly gay writers uh, on the scene, has been for a long time. He's just a very well-known writer, period. Um, But he wrote that the gay left hates and wants to persecute Orthodox Christians, however much good they do, and they've taken over the movement. Is that true? That's exactly right. That's that's how I would certainly see it. Um, You know, I was... um uh, uh, a good example of this is I was having dinner the other night with uh, someone who was arrested at Stonewall in 1969. This was this is the um, uh, the 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 riot, so-called, that, that sparked the modern gay rights movement. That's why you have gay pride. And uh, he's a Republican, and he was telling me, you know, back in the Stonewall years, nobody asked if you were Democrat or Republican. And because he's an open Republican and supports all of uh, as supports Republican candidates and President Trump. He's been completely dragged in the gay media. They call him a liar. They say he wasn't at Stonewall, that he's stealing a legacy. So it's gone from uh, uh, the gay rights movement has kind of gone from something that was more libertarian minded, uh, socially speaking, and more diverse ideologically to this just completely co-opted by far left radicals, by feminists and and by the Democrat Party, which thinks that it owns these people. And, of course, a part of that is hating Christianity and wanting and meanwhile, you know, completely silent about Islam, completely silent about the persecution of of gays in the Middle East and in Muslim countries, um, which is even more telling. We're speaking to uh, Chadwick Moore. He, of course, has also taken the helm here as a guest host in the past. He is a columnist at Spectator USA. Actually, Chadwick, we want to keep you and talk a bit about the state of play and the rest of the of the Democrat field. So can you uh, take a beat and we'll come right back? Sure, of course. All right, everybody. Hold on one sec. 
I understand it can be a little bit awkward when you have to think about life insurance. You don't want to have to consider what would be unthinkable, but you have to prepare for an uncertain future and make sure that your family is safe and secure. I've gone through this process myself. It's something you need to do. And you should go to the place that makes it easy for you. No hassle. That's Ethos Life Insurance. Ethos is modern life insurance for people who just don't want to waste time with fine print extra appointments or fees they really just can't afford. Ethos has a simple approach. They take industry expertise and they blend it with technology so that you can find the right policy to protect your loved ones in just a matter of about 10 minutes. And you can apply online. You should check it out for yourself. You'll be taking the first steps to ensure that your family has the financial security they need in case of the unexpected. This is the responsible thing to do. Get a fast, free, and personalized quote right now at ethoslife.com. That's ethoslife.com. Life insurance that actually fits your life. All right, we're continuing our conversation here with the uh, always intriguing, uh, uh, brilliant, and, and edgy Chadwick Moore. He is a columnist at Spectator USA. You often see him on Fox News. All right, Chadwick. So Kamala dropped out. Cory Booker is yeah. complaining that there's not enough diversity in the field. <laughs> I want to ask, do, Pete Buttigieg doesn't seem like he gets counted in the diversity pool, which is interesting, isn't it? Right. Yeah, you're, you're, you're good to point that out. He really doesn't get counted in the diversity pool, which goes to show how far uh, what what's really happening in their their ever shifting hierarchy of the victim classes. You know, who's on top now and who's on the bottom now. Um, white and gay, uh, white, white male. It definitely trumps the gay with him and uh, in the eyes of the left now. And can you explain something to me, you know, within within the gay community, I know you've got, you know, you're here in New York City and I'm sure you got a lot of liberal friends or at least, you know, know a lot of liberals. Um, but, I, you know, I, I've always wanted to know why is it that Trump gets really, it seems to me, zero credit at all for being the first president ever to, while he's running, hold the gay pride flag has never wanted to change or, or you know, have anybody overturn Obergefell, believes in, you know, is a supporter of gay marriage. And like the I, I see a lot of uh, people from the gay community protesting in different places and and acting like Trump is a is a horrible threat to the gay community in some ways. And I just don't understand how they can square that with reality. It just doesn't seem to. So can, can you speak to that a little bit? Why? Why, why doesn't the, the gay community like Trump more? Great question. And, uh, you know, and other things, too. Just this week, they, they launched the administration launched their initiative to give free prep to 200,000 people who don't have insurance. That's a drug that prevents HIV infection. And uh, they also uh, have uh, Ambassador Grinnell's decriminalization effort where they want working to decriminalize homosexuality worldwide. Um, but this gets no credit. And you know, it's it's almost like we've come to a place. And, and on top of all of that, too. President Trump is hilarious. He is a campy figure. I mean, gay people love camp. He's they should naturally like him because he's sort of ridiculous and, and, and funny and trolly. He um, is theatrical for sure. Extremely theatrical, yes. And uh, uh, so it's, you know, it, it's, it's a great question. It's just maybe we, we it, it's obviously not all gay people because what, what you see and hear is sort of the 10, 15 percent. That is that are just hardline insane activists. These you know who went who come out of Marxist universities and whatever. They're the most vocal. They're the most unhinged. They grab the microphone. They don't like politicians that don't treat them like special little people and and pander to them. And that drives them to saying that President Trump doesn't pander to the gay community. He 
simply treat everyone, that, you know, the gays just like anyone else. He's not going to go out of his way to do to uh, harm you. He's not going to go out of his way to help you uh, in more any more than he would just any other person, which is what a lot of conservative gays really like about him. Uh, they see through the, the, the malarkey, if you will, of the Democrats. And um, he... Uh, I, so I think that's it. If you talk to nor, if you just talk to gay people anywhere, you'll find that they're not that interested in politics. They vote Democrat. They don't really know what's going on. They're just you know living their lives. And uh, and 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 more people than you realize, even here in New York City, actually do like him. But uh, but you don't hear from them because the people who have the mic are just the the, the crazy activists. So now that uh, Kamala is out of the race, it seems like we're starting to get the first round of consolidation among the Democrats. Where do you see all this going? I mean, do you have do you have somebody that you really believe firmly is going to get into this thing? We had Bloomberg enter the fray um, and and actually get some support off the bat. Where do you where do you see this Democrat primary playing out for the next month or so? Uh, it's really it's really up in the air right now, and, and uh, you know people still say that Hillary's going to jump back in. Please, I hope so. Um, and uh, I still see people saying they think Michelle Obama's going to jump in. Michelle Obama could. I, I don't think I don't think she will at this point, but that's probably the only person that could maybe beat him. Um, at this point, the the party seems it does seem to be the the Warren or uh, or Biden split. Um, and the party bosses, the, the chiefs really want Biden for some reason, but they I don't think they see what the rest of us are seeing, especially with all of his strange uh, comments and speeches. Um, I mean, isn't that, let's, isn't that thing that he said about the blonde hairs on his legs standing up and, and, yeah. and corn pop and everything? I mean, that's the weirdest thing I've heard a major American politician say, perhaps in my lifetime. It was, I know, it was so bizarre and creepy. And who are his hands? Is he mentally fit? That that alone should ask. And who are his handlers? Uh, you know, that, that he already has this reputation for being kind of creepy and hair snippy and, and around children. And so he's doubling down on his on his creepiness with children, saying in that in that same speech, saying, you know, he loves it when they sit on his lap. It's like, OK, Joe Biden, maybe you don't. Say that when you already have this uh, reputation <laughs> or suspected reputation. Do you think that the impeachment, by the way, is going to backfire on Democrats? I mean, you know, today we had the big announcement about Pelosi saying, well, we, and we all, it wasn't even really, I mean, everyone knew what she was going to say before she said it. I mean, the whole thing is a sham. We all know what this is about. We all know where this is going. But how do you think it plays out? I think it already backfired. You have, you have something like 60% of independent uh, voters who, that they're not even watching it. They, they they care so little. They're not paying any attention to it. I kind of fall into that camp. I'm I'm not even. I don't want to give them the ratings or the eyeballs. Right. I, I was going to ask you to tell everybody, but you like refuse to watch this thing. I, so I, you're interesting because you're very involved in politics, but you're not like sitting through the hours and hours and hours of the hearings. So you kind of represent like a normal American, I think. Yeah, that's that's. I, I think so too. I because I, I, I intentionally, I'm just. I'm not even gonna. You know, I, I spent all I could, all I could on Russia, and uh, now I'm like, I'm not gonna give them this time. I think, and I think that does represent uh, the average American, especially the swing voter who, uh, you know, it's it's so abusive how the Democrat Party treats their base because they keep giving them all of these false hopes that they know isn't gonna go anywhere, and uh, and the base still just hangs on to it and believes that you know suddenly Trump's gonna be removed from office or be caught committing some crime. Um, he did not. It's not going to happen. Um, but the party, the people who are who are not so hardcore are, I believe, seeing this and just 
really throwing up their hands and asking, what are the Democrats doing? They're wasting everyone's time and money. Uh, they, they are not proposing anything. They're, they don't care about doing or fixing anything except uh, going after the president. What are you writing about next, Chadwick? Where should people look for your stuff? Uh, Spectator USA, uh, uh, spectator.us. And you can find next week I'll have a column, really interesting column about uh, uh, online dating. Uh, something's happening in the online dating world. Whoa, whoa hold on. I want, I, want to hear, I want to hear a little about that. Tell me, tell me about the online dating world. What do I need to know? Well, I'll give you a little teaser that, that, that there are feminists. I was on a, a news show debate. There, there are some activists and feminists who want um, uh, online dating apps require them to um, uh, uh, do background checks on everyone on there. Well, they say everyone, but they mean men, and then sort of alert some to if there's a, a sexual predator. That sounds really nice in theory, but I've got a lot to say on it and why it's actually a, a terrible idea and what women should be doing to protect themselves. So you, should, um, you can find that. Uh, that'll be up next week, early next week. All right, everybody. Chadwick Moore, Spectator USA. Chadwick, great to have you, sir. We'll talk soon. Great. Thank you very much. Global Verification Network is the only dual-certified, veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company. They are federally certified as a veteran-owned small business and headquartered in Chicago with offices throughout the nation. Their risk mitigation experts can work with startups all the way up to Fortune 100 companies, and no data or client information is ever offshored. Unlike a lot of their competitors, Global Verification Network has all employees located throughout the United States, and they do not outsource or offshore any of the work you give them. Give Global Verification Network a call, 877-695-1179. Again, that's 877-695-1179. You can also go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. Global Verification Network for all your back investigation and vetting needs. Leave no stone unturned. My belief is, my very strong belief is, that this nation, uh, because of its incredible wealth, uh, its technology, its natural resources, in fact, has the capabilities of providing a decent standard of living for every man, woman, and child. And that's just not, at this point, a utopian vision. The distribution of wealth in this country, as you may or may not know, is one of the most unfair and distorted in the entire world. You have yeah, but how can you practically change that very uneven distribution? Well, I think you can change it politically. I think you change it through tax, tax laws. I think you change it through public ownership of significant parts of the economy. Public ownership of significant parts of the economy. That, my friends, is definitely socialism, and Bernie Sanders is socialist. But once you start talking about state control of the economy, of the means of production, and the ability to transfer wealth, in fact, the mandate to take from people to give to others, and to provide for everybody, not just a, not just provide for their most basic needs, but to provide them a good living a good standard of housing and, and health care and food and all these other, you know, what does good mean? That's, this is what the Soviets promised their people. I mean, this was the promise of the Soviet Union, which is, by the way, where Bernie Sanders went for his honeymoon. Now, that's an old clip of Sanders. Uh, was it from like the 80s, I think? I mean, it's tough to know because Bernie Sanders, producer Brandon hit it right on the head. Bernie Sanders has looked 70 four years old for like the last 40 years. 
just to go back and look. Always has the same sort of voice, same sort of socialism, same this, same that. Nothing really has changed with Bernie. I do give him credit for consistency. At least he's not one of these left-wing politicians who changes what they believe every five minutes based upon whatever will be of the greatest short-term benefit to them. Which, by the way, right-wing politicians, let's keep it real. Right-wing politicians do that, too, sometimes. Not as much as the left. It's, there's not as much room for hypocrisy. There's not as much acceptance of hypocrisy on the left. But uh, here you're feeling the burn. Here in the burn, say some stuff that's pretty radical. And you, I think, are fully within your rights. I think you would be making perfect sense to ask the question, does Bernie still believe that? Does Bernie still want ownership of large sectors of the economy? And this is where I start to get into why and how, how would that happen? How would we find ourselves in a situation, in a circumstance where all of a sudden you might be able to have a government takeover of large parts of the economy? Well, if I were going to war game this out, if I were going to create the scenario that would bring about a government takeover of much of, remember, the control of the means of production, because if you control the means of production, then you're also inherently engaged in a in central planning of the resources necessary for that production. And then you're also going to be engaging in under the wealth redistribution rubric, who gets what from that means of production. You are controlling society top down. You have public owner. You have public ownership of what should be private property, but what they will, they will say is public. The problem is that you switch from socialism to communism. The, the real switch just has to do with control in the hands of a revolutionary committee of sorts. Whether it's you know the commun, they call it the Communist Party, but it doesn't really matter. All you need is a small group of of individuals, or it doesn't have to be that small, but a group of individuals. Because who who directs? We we don't we don't have. A government agency currently deciding, you know, how many pairs of shoes are made. We do have a government agency, though. We have a bunch of agencies. They'll say how much you have to pay people, what working conditions are like. You know, we, there's a lot of regulation that is pushing on the door of socialism already, or that is a a means of achieving socialist ends without socialist words or nomenclature. But. If I were trying to bring about the opening for socialism to happen in this country, what would I want to do? Continuously expand government. We're doing that. Government just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, we should all recall that the sequestration, remember the sequestration fight? It's kind of a political nerd thing. I mean, some people remember, some people don't. Who cares, really? But that was a big thing back under the Obama administration because Republicans said, fine, you can even cut defense spending. We're going to cut overall spending. There's big fights. And, oh, my gosh. And, you know, Republicans are stealing mouth from uh, mouth from the food of food from the mouths of babies, um, all this stuff. That was sequestration. That huge food fight on Capitol Hill was a decrease in the planned increase in government spending from already record level and unsustainable level debt. That's what the huge fight was about. It wasn't, oh my gosh, these draconian cuts. It was, whoa, we're expecting to keep spending further and further into debt at this level. You're going to tell me we can only spend a little less? In it? No, no, no. Pas acceptable, as Macron would say, or perhaps Trudeau. 
who do we think? Oh, no, we know Macron's more French. Trudeau is more fun to make fun of, but Macron's more French for sure. So if you wanted to create the opening in this country for a takeover of major industries, you know what you'd want to do? You'd want to create an unsustainable debt load that would eventually crash the economy, perhaps end the U.S. as the global reserve currency, uh, force people to make decisions under duress, political decisions about who they're going to put in power when the country is in a panic. And as I have said, as much as I would, I wish it would be the case that when this day comes, when the debt is finally too large, when the music stops, there aren't enough chairs, maybe there's no chairs. I wish it would be the case that people would say, ah, but this is what the, you know, the acolytes of Milton Friedman have been saying what happened all along. I mean, this is what, of, of course, this debt eventually became unsustainable. Of course, it caused massive dislocations in the economy. That's exactly what Friedrich Hayek would have said or von Mises. Yeah, von Mises from the Austrian school. Guten Tag. Uh, that's what they would have said. But that's not what happens. People say, I'm scared. I want to know that there's going to be health care for me, that I'm going to have a place to live, that there's going to be food on the table, that my family's going to have food. And instead of understanding that all of that is much more possible, much easier and much better, if you have you maximize the functions of the free market within a society as wealthy and prosperous and educated as we are, what happens? People say, oh, the, the politician, the demagogue, the Elizabeth Warren, the Bernie Sanders, the Joe Biden, any of them. But the person who comes forward and says the rich pushed this economy off a cliff, they did not pay their fair share, and we need to make sure that there's a fairer future for everybody, and we're going to pay for all of your stuff, and we're going to soak the rich, those people, they get in charge when the crisis hits. So Bernie Sanders, I was going to say, is playing the long game. I, you know, He's obviously up there in age, and I, I hope that he's healthy and has a very nice long retirement. Uh, but the socialists in this country are certainly playing the long game. I mean, you know, there's, they're going, there's a movement now. You're seeing it more openly. I'm not, it's not new, but it's a movement of socialists that recognize the overall trajectory. We are heading towards socialism as a country. People don't like to hear this. It's true. We're heading further and further in that direction. Trump maybe has slowed down some of this, although the Trump administration spending is far too high. But if this continues as is, we will either step by step or in response to a crisis, a catastrophe, we will be a country that is effectively a socialist country. I do believe we are heading there. And I think we're close. I think we are closer to it than anybody on the right wants to admit right now. I mean, I just saw that there's this pushback from price transparency in the healthcare market. All these doctors and all these different, you know, facilities and insurance and all, they don't want price transparency that, my friends, that, that we could have an argument over one-sixth of the economy is not allowed to be directed by prices. This should be a much bigger, and people fight against this when finally the Trump administration says, hold on, you need to be able to know what something costs. They fight this. They don't want there to be transparency. They want it to be, as Bernie Sanders says, decided by politics. And if it's decided by politics, not the market, you know who decides? Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Ocasio-Cortez. 
Speaking of people who are socialists who are playing the long game here, they get to decide. And my friends, you get to suffer the consequences. This is where the country is really, this is beyond 2020. This is where the country is really heading. I saw something yesterday, producer Brandon, that really got me so excited. And I had, I had, to, I had to sort of tone it down a little bit. I had to sort of rein it in, pull it back, and chillax a little bit. You know what I saw? What's that? Santa? Who? Santa Claus? I mean, that would be amazing. Okay. I mean, I probably could see Santa. It's probably a fake Santa, though, who's got like half a ham sandwich still in his beard and is drinking, <laughs> you know, drinking some some bourbon. Billy Bob Thornton. Um, so here, here's what I found. There is currently a bill making its way through Congress. Useless Congress, everybody. Doesn't do squat. Speaking of squats, I got to do some. Papa Buck's getting weak. But doesn't do squat. And uh, they're looking at passing a pretty aggressive bill about robocalls. Good. Robocalls are a scourge. They are, they are the audio equivalent of the bubonic plague. <laughs> do you know they made, they, there's some number, they've made billions of, of robocalls just in the last month in this country. Wow. So you think there's only 300 million people. So there, there's, you know, every person in the country is basically, I, whoever is behind these things, whatever country is behind robocalls, should hand over these people to us who should be fi- who should be bankrupted. I would say it's a form of like harassment, mass harassment. Look, if, if you can get people for wire fraud, for like minor white collar stuff, this, this, should be, this should be absolutely illegal. And I know politicians like the robocalls too, by the way, which that, but at least that's seasonal. You can only do it, you know, leading up to an election. But even that should be gone. No more robocalls. And any country that harbors robocallers, you're either with us or you're with the robocallers. And if we have to bomb some people, I'm saying I think we've got to bomb some people because this is unacceptable. I sit here during the show and I can't tell you how many times people say, Buck, why are you looking at your phone? So my phone's ringing. Everybody who knows me knows you don't call Buck during the show, mm-hmm. right? What kind of disrespect is that? It's always, hi, you've won a cruise. I'm like, I will, Minnie Mouse, stop calling me. I will crush you. It drives me insane. And we live in the, we, the NSA. We got all this fancy stuff, all these crazy programs. I used to know about this stuff. I used to work in the government, you know, CIA. Ooh, we got all these. Why can't we get. They're going to tell me they can't find who the robocallers are? I mean, they're coming from somewhere. I don't believe that at all. My mom actually has been complaining about that a lot to me as well. Like, who are these people? She thinks they're prank phone calls, but and I have to explain the, A lot it. of them, by the way, are committing fraud. I mean, what they want is they want you to give them credit card information, other things, and then they, you know, a lot of it is foreign based. But, I mean, we should. You know, we should go. I mean, if we, it should be the great robocall war of 2020. Like, if we, I don't care what, you know, if this coming from Belarus, Belarus, you're on the hit list. I know. Absolutely. And I, I hate when it's a local number. When you think that's somebody, what they do, they spoof the local numbers. You think it's like you and me, we, we book guests. So we always kind of answer our phone. Yeah. And it ends up being, you, you wait a second. Yeah, or, even answer. And even if it's a block number, it's like, what if it's President Trump waking up and finally realizing he should make me uh, White House press secretary? You know, like, <laughs> you what about know. that? You never know. And then you get mad. Yeah, and then I missed that call, and he'd be like, yeah, Buck, Buck missed his chance. He missed his call. I'm like, yo, I'm right here. <laughs> oh, it's infuriating. It's absolutely infuriating. Yeah. I, you know, Have you gotten the text as well? The oh, robo, yeah. The robo-text? So I was say. But it's great with the text. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got, I've got it's, which is yeah. basically the same thing, just in, in text form. But they may be 
passing a law that would allegedly deal with this. And here's why I can't get too excited. It's Congress. I feel like they're going to mess it up. This is the easiest thing. This is so bipartisan. I got to say, I don't even know. I mean, if a Democrat managed to take care of this issue, would I vote Democrat? I don't think so, but I'd have to think about it (laughs) because it drives me insane. Drives me insane. Almost as a robocalls need to go, and then the backup noise on trucks needs to go too. <laughs> all vehicles, yes, all. Ve- this is like this is my great campaign for all of humanity. It's the dumbest idea in the universe. The things are way too loud. They developed this sound. Some Japanese guy, an engineer in the seventies, developed this sound. It actually is at a decibel level that's much higher than it needs to. It's the whole thing is is trash. But OSHA won't change. I mean, I, you know, Buck wants to wage war on OSHA and the robocallers. You got my vote. You know what I'm saying? Buck twenty twenty. I mean, you know, the, there's the rent is too damn high guy. There's the robocalls are too damn much guy. That's me. <laughs> I, I I just completely lose my mind on this. Can't the government do something worthwhile for once? You know, I can't. Anyway, it's just. Serenity now. We'll see if this ends up actually actually happening. Um, By the way, there was also a. I keep telling you about these gun laws in New York City. This was great, though. Um, They've essentially admitted also that the gun laws that they're trying to fight for does not make anybody safer, which is just amazing. So now we've gone to the point where there's not, they're not even doing make-believe. They're not even pretending that these gun laws are about safety in New York. The, the lawyers are like, yeah, we just have them. This just goes to the point that I've often made in the past that I want you all to remember, that much of gun legislation is really about not liking gun owners instead of making people safer. It's a way to stick your thumb in the eye of people that believe in the Second Amendment who are now overwhelmingly conservative and on the right. So by passing laws to harass that constituency, you are doing something that just makes liberals feel good. They like it. They like to just stick it to the gun owner. They like to show gun owners that they're not good people and they support the wrong politicians. I mean, New York has admitted as much that the stupid rules that I've told you about, and and I know what those rules are, the the stupid rules about how you can own a firearm, transport a firearm. They don't even know whether the rules will be enforced in certain ways. That is all because they don't like gun owners. That's it. Just like I've just like I've been saying for a long time, this is why when you point out after there's some terrible gun massacre or some some crime happens that's unspeakable involving firearms, they want to pass laws that wouldn't have stopped that crime because it's not about stopping crime. It's about blaming gun owners for all of society's ills. That's what it really is. All I think there are 60 million gun owners in America, something like that. I mean, it's a it's a pretty big swath, a pretty big uh, bunch. And of course, over 300 million estimated firearms in circulation. But. Uh, we live in the People's Republic of New York, man. It's not not a good scene here sometimes. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. It's the roll of the call, the roll call. I know that really made sense, but it was close enough. Close enough. People know what I'm talking about. 
Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Bucket iHeartMedia, which I do, I heart it. iHeartMedia.com. Also, please continue to check us out on Channel 248 on Pluto TV. Pluto TV is an app. Go on your smartphone. Just type in Pluto, P-L-U-T-O, TV. Download it. Go to Channel 248. Super easy, totally free, looks really slick. A lot of other channels you can see on it, too. It's not just for this show, but this show is obviously awesome. Me, Jesse Kelly, the first on Pluto TV, Channel 248. Do check it out. And uh, you know whose birthday's coming up later this month, Brandon? Buck. I don't know why I just refer to myself in the third person, but... Um, and so I, we have the birth of Jesus and the birth of Buck in the month of December. And what do I want for my birthday? I want everyone listening to this show to get one person who loves freedom in America to download, to actually subscribe is even better, but download and subscribe to the Buck Sexton podcast on either iTunes or uh, the iHeartRadio app or wherever they listen to podcasts. And if they've never listened to podcasts, be like, well, this is the one you should start with. So that's where it's at. Uh, All right, let's get to it. Katrina... Right. Hey, Buck. Been watching you and Jesse on Pluto TV. Well, good job. Good job, Katrina. That's the way to do it. Glad to have another conservative outlet out there. Hope the first continues to grow. Um, all right. Uh, Shields high. Thank you so much, Katrina. Appreciate it. Let's get to Angela. Hey, Buck. Love the show. Angela, the show loves you. The Irishman is definitely a must-see. Peaky Blinders Season 5, also a must. Well, i got to tell you, Angela, because you like Peaky Blinders Season 5, it makes me more inclined to think that I should listen to you about The Irishman. By the way, I think what we're going to do when producer Mark comes back. Brian, do you like hockey? Mm-hmm. All right. We're, and, and is there hockey in January and February? Uh I think so. I should know this. Yeah, I think it ends in April. Oh, okay. And I'm wearing an Islanders hat. Yeah, right I mean, now. it's wintertime. I feel like you guys are skating around on a big block of ice. The winter makes it. It's not like you should be playing hockey in July, really. No, no, no. Do, I think it ends in like March, April. All right. So we're going to, so I'm going to try to sponsor a, uh, you know, Papa Buck over here is going to sponsor a Freedom Hut ice hockey because I, I want to keep an open mind. Okay. So I'm going to get tickets for you, me, and, and Mark. Oh, nice. That's my plan. Yeah. I'm so into when Mark it. comes back. Thank you. So would you come? Yeah. All right, and do we see the do we see the Rangers or the Islanders? I mean, if it's possible to see an Islanders Rangers game, you might see Mark and I fight. But oh, you're on opposite sides of this. Yeah. Oh, we got to do that then. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna the seats are gonna be crappy. By the way, I mean the Freedom Hut is still growing, (laughs) but like we'll go. Sure, we'll go. You know, and um, I'm just saying this is a plan we have. So there, 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 you have it. All right. Uh, Angela says she binged it on both last weekend. It was well worth it. Jack Ryan this season can't get past episode two. Angela, I agree. Jack Ryan's crap. It's not good. It's not good. They should have. They should have just paid, thrown a little little cash to the Buckster. I would have explained to them how to make some cool stuff happen. Give them a little CIA razzle dazzle, and the show would have been watchable. But no, it's crap. It's a garbage show. It's really bad. I'm very disappointed. Because I actually, first season was hyper unrealistic, and there's some cheesy stuff. But, like, it moved. It was pretty good. Even though they, like, get the guy at the end of this. Anyway, this. I should probably just do a new show where I just get to talk about whatever's in my mind, like pop culture stuff, and just let it rip. And people can listen to that if they want. So I get some people to like it. Other people are like, where are you on the political philosophy? Stick in your lane, sir. How dare you, sir? I'm like, but I love all you guys, and I just want to share with you some of my thoughts on the things. 
I just want to be friends, Team Buck. Boots. Oh, that's actually his name. That's awesome. Boots and Buck. That would be a great name for a bourbon. Boots and Buck. Solomon, Solomon was displaying a number of questionable donations funneled through a fake business atop Dems. Reason for the rush so they can claim retribution. Um, Boots, I don't really know what you're asking me here. I think you're referring to John Solomon, but I'm not really clear on the question, so I'm going to have to uh, ask you to send in a clarifier on that one for me. Steve writes, hey, Buck, love the show and always find comfort in the Freedom Hut. You mentioned with Sean Davis that you were surprised that piracy and counterfeiting weren't included in the so-called crimes by Big Bad Orange Man. How about felonious mopery? Hat tip to Dan Bongino. I mean, you must remember Orange Man Bad heading down the escalator at Trump Tower way back, even before he won. You know he had to be planning something nefarious. Anyway, this is what emanates from the district of Crazy Town. Buck, my arms are getting weary, but still keep the shield held high. Well, my man Steve, that's how you got to keep it. It's no use if it's down, down by your, you know, down by your ankles. You got to keep the shield up. Otherwise, the phalanx begins to fail. And that is, of course, where we get shields high. It's perhaps a little bit nerdy, sure. But we love history. We love ancient Greece. Fantastic. Uh, so that's why we are shields high. It comes from back in the day. Holding your shield up in the, fe- in the phalanx. Shoulder to shoulder. Shield to shield. It's actually a form of warfare that lasted a very long time. Believe it or not, the, uh, the Vikings... My Viking sounds a bit like my German. It's sort of the same, except a little more sing-songy. I didn't know the Swedish chef was a Viking. My name is Blurgen Klurgen from the Flurgen Fjord. <laughs> they had something. I mean, for somebody who doesn't do a Swedish accent a lot, it's not terrible. But uh, they had the shield wall, which if you've watched Vikings on the History Channel, they show you that's great. And they also have it in The Last Kingdom, which is a, I think the first season is a phenomenal show. I think it's a great show. Have you seen Last Kingdom? Do you like like Do you like dudes with beards and swords fighting and you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You should check out Last. It's on Netflix. Okay. It's great. Really quality. Yeah, I'm looking for a new show. So yeah, yeah. Check, check that one. Come on, watch a little bit, and you come on. You tell me if my recommendations are good. All right, you got it. There we go. Ethan writes, Buck. I think your movie choice is usually pretty spot on, but uh oh. But yesterday, you said Timothy Dalton's Bond movies were weak. I recommend going back and checking them out again if you've never really watched them. T. Dalt. <laughs> uh, T. Dalt. That's a, that's a first. Was actually a fantastic Bond uh, in the movies. They just didn't play well to an audience who had gotten more used to Roger Moore's silly, campy version of the role. I've only seen, I think, Dalton's License to Kill, and all I really remember is that he fed a guy to a great white shark in the beginning of it, I think, which is not a, that would not be a good way to go. No. You know, if you got to be eaten by something, I mean, I take, I think I take bear over shark. You know, this is, people come to the show for the really high level analysis like this. You're going to be eaten by something. You go bear, you go shark. Are those the only two options? I mean, dude, you're getting eaten one way or the other. Because I would want to be eaten like by a whale, just be one and done. That's yeah, it. Yeah, but no, dude. Then you'd be in the. Then you'd like slowly asphyxiate in its giant gullet. Touche. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking a Pinocchio got out. So yeah, no, it's not, and there's not, not that much room in there. It'd be okay. kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, you know true. what I mean. 
I mean, okay, here, let's play, let's play the game for a second, Producer Brandon. You have a choice. You can either be eaten by a crocodile or asphyxiated by a boa constrictor. Oof. I got to think crocodile. Me too. Yeah. I feel like the massive blood loss means you'd at least pass out pretty quickly, whereas the boa constrictor, you got to be thinking, come on, man, I'm going out constricted like this? And that's a more manly way to go, being eaten. Maybe you're still punching the- Yeah, uh, exactly. You can fight. Yeah. Otherwise, you sit there, the boa constrictor, and you just stare at you while it slowly squeezes you. Yeah. It's not good. Helpless. Yeah, helpless. All right. So we established that one. That's why all the important analysis is done here on the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, Kyle, Buck, I heard you talking about golden eye skills. Sorry, but a, a truly great player doesn't need to use odd job to win. Our house rules were no choosing odd job because of the unfair advantage of his height. When you can be playing as Jaws instead, you have bragging rights. Damn, damn, my man. You, Kyle knows what's up. That's true. Odd job was, that's why I liked odd job. He was sneaky. He could sneak around. You couldn't, couldn't shoot him as easy. You learn something. Yeah, I see, Kyle. I see your game. I know, I know what you're. I saw you on the dance floor. You move pretty good. All right, everybody. Fantastic show today. Going to be great tomorrow, too. Please do spread the word about the show, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Shields high.